Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Hey, good to be here again. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a month or so since we chatted. Um, I thought we'd uh, we'd go through the fun exercise today of doing a slight power rankings, and um, I know that whenever you do something like that, I mean, people obviously love lists, but you run into the problem of uh, people taking stuff way too literally and are going online and arguing about how we said that you know their favorite team is three spots lower than they really should be in their eyes. So we're gonna try to. Um, avoid angering too many people hopefully we'll use this more as a as a launching pad for a discussion about the various teams but before we get into that i did want to have a quick chat with you about a a fun development that happened in the hockey world yesterday and that's that uh, our buddy thomas drance got named the the vp of communications and pr with the florida panthers yeah i was wondering if you're going to ask me about that uh, obviously i think it's a great hire for for florida uh, tom for those who didn't know was running the nation network previously which is oilers nation canucks army all those websites and he did a, did a great job of that and of course he's done fantastic work for sportsnet and um, hiring him in a media relations role is good he's he's really good at um sort of juggling writers of various degrees of um, statistical awareness and, you know, rage issues and <laughs> all that good stuff. So I, I think he'll be a good fit in the role, and I, I'm really happy to, to see him get hired. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Tom Drance guy. Obviously not having, you know, his his hockey opinions and his hockey takes um, publicly available anymore will, will be a hit to the community. But he's, uh, you know, I always thought one of his best skills was just his abil- his, his people-person skills, his ability to actually just you know get along with people on the internet and 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 remain level-headed during some of these uh petty arguments we sometimes find ourselves getting into and and that that's you can't say that about everyone that that makes their way on online so i think tom's gonna do great at this job and you know people that have been listening to the show know that he's the person that that gave me my first platform on Canucks Army and sort of uh, took me in in under a a mentorship role and helped me out when I was getting started. So um, I'm always going to be eternally grateful to him for that. And and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with the Panthers. But uh, with that out of the way, let's let's get into our our power rankings. And I thought that... uh, it would make sense if we start in, in inverse order. We'll, we'll start counting down from 30 down, and, and we'll see where we go. So um, I don't think we're going to have very much argument here that 
you know, I, I, I put 30 and 29 together just because I think that it's tough to separate them. But I think that the Avalanche 30 and the Coyotes 29 is, uh, seems like the way to go here. Oh, I disagree entirely. I have uh, the Coyotes 30 and the Avalanche 29. <laughs> so yeah, big argument time, right? Yeah. I, the, these two teams are pretty clearly the worst in the NHL. When I, when I went to put together my list, I just, those two instantly just fell into the bottom and nobody ever came close to unseating them. I, and I think it's going to play out that way the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is nice for our purposes that we didn't have to spend too much time thinking about it, but you know, I definitely agree that the Avalanche have more talent on paper, and you'd think that they should be better. And obviously, preseason expectations, we kind of all knew that the Coyotes, this would be another sort of lost season where they were just going to give some of their young guys some minutes and, and some experience in the NHL, but ultimately go for that another high pick and see uh, if they can kind of be more competitive next season. But and Whereas the Avalanche, we didn't really know what to expect with them with the coaching change and some of the moves they made this summer, but we thought they'd at least be competent but i mean you look at them right now and, and they're on pace to finish with you know o- over minus 100 in, in in goal differential for the season and it's just startling how bad they've been i think for them the interesting question spinning forward is you know do you just sit still and just say you know what we're gonna go through these through these lumps and we're gonna get a high pick and we're gonna see where we're at this summer or do you start to indulge in some of these trade rumors we've heard recently for a guy like whether it's matt duchene or even a gabriel landeskog yeah, that, that is the question. And I think there's always a danger in these situations of overreacting, um, uh, tossing away, you know, throwing out the, the baby with the, the metaphorical bathwater. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing I would say about Colorado that I'd like to see, and, and this isn't because their other underlying metrics are good, they aren't good, but they've got a 905 uh, save percentage at five on five this year, which I believe is, yeah, it's the worst number in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the kind of thing when I look at teams that are doing really poorly, like that's the kind of thing that drives teams doing really poorly, but it's also the kind of thing that can be fixed in relatively short order. In, in Colorado's case, I, I don't think it, I, I do think it's one of those situations where, you know, you may not be a big fan of Semyon Varlamov, but I, I don't think it's solely him either. You, you look at that defense pair, um, core, especially in the games where Eric Johnson isn't uh, playing, and it's it's pretty terrifying. So I, I think they need to, they obviously need to fix a whole bunch of things, but um, they don't really have so many young players that are really good that they can, you know, just afford to trade them away. Obviously, if you can get fair value, but um, as anybody who has followed a bad team knows, that's very difficult to do when you're losing games. Yeah, yeah, and, you know... Guys like Matthew Shane and Gabriel Landeskog, who would be the, the prime candidates because they made it pretty clear that, you know, with good reason, Nathan McKinnon isn't going anywhere and, and they're still holding out hope that, that Miko Rantanen is going to is gonna turn into something special for them. But, I mean, those guys are, what, 24, 25 years old. They're in their peak years. They're under contract for at least another couple of seasons each at reasonably, you know, palatable cap hits so i don't think and when you're trading guys like that you're not necessarily really trading from a position of strength you're generally going to be trading for 75 cents on the dollar or something like that and i don't think that as you mentioned the avalanche are in a position where you know they can be trading those guys for need because it's not like you know they're one strong defenseman here away from all of a sudden becoming a contender in the west like they're at the point where they just need to accumulate as much talent as possible wherever it is in the lineup and then figure it out afterwards absolutely and and you'll see people say things like well you you look at edmonton and they traded taylor hall for adam larson and everything turned out well and they should do that but you know edmonton had Connor mcdavid for one thing 
and and you know for a second thing Larson's the number four defenseman in Edmonton that's maybe not a template you want to follow right. if you're Colorado you have to have that that uh, you know franchise changing player come in you know because McDavid's obviously an upgrade on Hall mm-hmm. and you know rightly or wrongly the Oilers you know, felt they had enough assets and with McDavid driving the team that they didn't need Hall anymore. I don't see how you can make that case in Colorado because you don't, I mean, with due respect to Nathan McKinnon, you don't have that guy who's going to step in and make you forget you ever had Matt Duchesne. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, okay, let's move on because if we if we go at this rate, we're going to be here all day. Um, so the next, I, I lump the next four teams together and just out of convenience, but I have the Devils 28, the Sabres 27, the Canucks 26, and the Islanders 25. Um, what, 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 what do you think about that combination of teams there? I have... My, my list is almost exactly the same, except that I have the Islanders slightly higher, and in the bottom four, in, in that group of four, I'd, I'd also add Detroit. Mm-hmm. I have it Vancouver, New Jersey, Detroit, Buffalo, um, 28, 27, 26, 25. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you can make a strong argument. I, I the, the Red Wings, 24, and I think we could lump them in here. But I think just kind of going in order, the for the Devils, the the weird thing for me this season is that Corey Schneider is having a very uncharacteristically bad season. He's he's sitting at nine oh eight right now in terms of save percentage, and that'd be the first time he's been under nine twenty in a, in a season that he's spent at least twenty games in the NHL. So I think that you know in the past they had all these question marks about them, and you know, we could at least rely on Corey Schneider to be their saving grace and win them a bunch of games. But this year that hasn't even really been the case. Yeah, that is um, one of the, the biggest questions I have this season. And, and Corey Schneider, I mean, things get even worse when you you, you kind of look at the fact that he's been saved a little bit by the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Like at 5-on-5, five five, that team, and uh, I believe Keith Kincaid's the backup right now. Yeah. And Keith Kincaid is, you know, not a guy who's going to pressure Corey Schneider for his job. It, New Jersey's made some improvements. Um, I, I think, in part, I'm a little bit easier on New Jersey just because of the division they play in. Mm-hmm. Like when you're the the number six team, or I think they're number six right now. I'm not sure in the in the Metropolitan. Like, uh, whew, that's a that's a tough thing to play through when the top five teams are you know arguably five of the top ten teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and the same thing goes for the Islanders. I have a little bit of flat, of uh, slack for them there, but the, the Devils obviously um, we knew they were short on talent last year. I think was a great year in a lot of ways for them, and. Um, Maybe they were always going to take a bit of a step back, and you combine that with Schneider's sort of baffling uh, fall off this year, and, and you end up with what we have. Yeah, and they, and they had that little lull there. They've started playing a bit better, or at least winning some games recently, but they had a stretch there in December where they just couldn't really buy a break. So I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where they go, but I feel pretty good about them where we have them here on this list. Um, the Sabres are, are interesting to me because if you look at them, their big problem this season has, I mean, their goaltending has been really good and, and the issue has been, they just can't really seem to score any goals. And I think that's a little odd considering that if you looked at this team's composition heading into the season, it, the strength of their team would clearly be their forward group. But I mean, obviously Jack Eichel missing the first 20 or so games of the year and, and Kane O'Reilly and Ennis have all missed extended periods of time throughout. So, you know, they've been decimated by injuries, but I mean, you know, they they should be better than they are just based on the, the collection of talent they have. But I guess, you know, you look at that blue line and, and they don't really have guys that can move the puck or or, or skate or, or do really do much beyond a guy like Rasmus Schalainen. So I think that that's, some, that's an area of need that they're definitely going to need to uh, look to shore up in the coming years. Yeah, and even even Rasmus Schalainen, he's, he's a guy who, uh, you know, 
there's some skepticism towards him in, in analytic circles. And I, I always sort of thought it was unwarranted. I actually went to write a, write a piece about it, and I sat down and I watched you know, three or four games, like all of his shifts over three or four games, just tracking him really closely. And I went, oh, I don't think I can write this piece defending him because he's got you know so many rough patches still to his game, and it's not all Josh George's fault. Okay. Uh, um, the other thing with Buffalo I'd point out is I think you really see the lack of defensive quality um, on the penalty kill. And, and this ties into to having a, a young team up front in a lot of ways. They are the worst team in the NHL in terms of uh, goals against per hour in four-on-five situations. And in terms of Fenwick against per hour, they're 14 shots worse per hour than the New York Islanders, mm-hmm. which makes them the worst team in the league. Like, the penalty-killing unit's atrocious, and, you know, goaltending at five-on-five is only going to bring you so far when you're getting caved in uh, in those situations yeah i wonder about a penalty killing unit like that because you know for a power play for example you can say that you know skill is very important although we're seeing with a team like the columbus blue jacks this season where sometimes if you just put the right chess pieces together you, you can kind of uh, have a better product than if you had just a bunch of superstars it's not necessarily you know skill isn't necessarily the most important thing there but for a penalty kill i, I wonder like how much of that do you think is just coaching because it seems like you could inconceivably if you have if you're running a good system there and you have everyone kind of working together it could be at least not that dreadful as they've been like i find it hard to believe that the players they're using on the penalty killer are just so bad that it's overriding everything yeah that's uh that's a fair question um i I think the thing i would say is they're they're not that different from last year, and they were 20 shots per hour better on the penalty kill last year, which is right. uh, 20 Fenwicks, you know, so missed shots and, to- and uh, shots on net. So I-, I wonder if something's changed there. I haven't had a chance to, you know, take a really good look at their, their four-on-five configuration uh, for this exercise, but it, it is a good question, uh, one well-, well worth asking. Yeah, the uh, I don't know if a deep dive on the Buffalo Sabres penalty kill woes is uh, <laughs> is going to be driving traffic for our employers. <laughs> that's why that's why people turn, tune in here, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, so moving on to the Canucks, um, they're three points out of a wild card spot right now, which I find very amusing because they're objectively one of the worst five or six teams in the league by pretty much any single measure. And I think that the key for them here is to avoid deceiving themselves into thinking that they're actually in the hunt. Like it's one thing for them to uh, have a brave face with the media and, and say that, you know, they are going to try to compete here and, and try to do this quick rebuild on the fly rather than, than bottoming out. But I mean, it'll be fascinating to see how they approach this if they're still around this position near the deadline because last year they they didn't really sell off any of their parts and I thought that was a big miscalculation on their part that they didn't get anything for guys like Redeem Verbata and, and Dan Hamus and they have a few pieces here this year where they could conceivably trade you know a guy like Gannick Henson if he comes back from injury or, or Alex Burrows if he keeps playing as well as he has lately but I mean the thing with Benning the dirty, dirty secret is for a guy who's heralded as you know being a draft guy that's going to come in and, and and, and do do big things for them in the draft. He's been sort of siphoning off picks more than he's actually been acquiring them during his time in Vancouver. So I think that how they proceed, uh, especially around the trade deadline, is going to be the, the fascinating thing with this team. Yeah. Is is this your way of saying you, you weren't a fan of Lyndon Vay for a second round pick? That strategy is not doing anything for you. Well, it, funny enough, I actually defended that trade a little bit at the time. Obviously, in hindsight, it, it, it wound up working out horribly. But I mean, at the time, Vay was a guy in his early 20s who was producing very good numbers in the AHL. And I think that, you know, if... 
if they use that second round pick to to get a guy who was basically Lyndon Bay, we would be deeming that a, a successful pick. So I think that, you know, obviously maybe it didn't have the upside that you would have hoped for, but at the time I thought it was a, a pretty defensible trade. But, 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 but the thought process is, is right there where you, if you're a team like the Canucks, you just want to be stockpiling these picks and getting as much young talent as you can as opposed to trying to, to find a band-aid approach. Yeah, and, and I mean, what Vancouver's like, it, it fits into that overarching narrative in Vancouver, right? Like, bring in young players, don't don't tank for picks, don't wait. Because, I mean, you take a second-round pick, and, and like you say, you know, Lyndon Vay's probably a pretty decent gra- uh, end result of your average second-round pick, mm-hmm. but it takes five years to get him there. Yeah. And and we've seen that all, all down the line since Benning was hired, that he's preferred to trade for young players. The problem with doing that is ceiling, like, when you trade for a prospect who's 23 rather than making the pick, like the pick's a lottery card, but you you get enough of those picks and some of them pay off gold. Um, you trade for a 23-year-old player, I don't know if you get guys with the same ceiling. Um, you, you have more certainty, you probably get a better player than you would have got with any individual pick, but you don't have the same um, uh, home run upside. And, and that's my problem when I look at Vancouver. They've got you know sort of that older... They've got a few old players that are propping up the tent, and then they've got a bunch of guys who's who's upset. I'm not really sure that, you know, Brandon Sutter and Marcus Granlund and Sven Berchi are the nucleus of a great NHL team. And and if you're not trying to build a great NHL team, I, I I'm not really sure what you're doing. Right. That's that, that's the problem with them. Like you know, they they've made a big big stink about not thinking that this market in Vancouver um, is, is willing to, to sit through a rebuild and, and sit through them bottoming out. But, you know, they're making all these moves for these sort of tangential side complementary pieces, but they don't have that next wave of a core. Um, you know, they're still relying on the Sedins way too much for guys that are already in their mid-30s and are on their last legs, and there isn't really a plan for what's going to happen after that. And the only way you really get those players is generally by bottoming out and getting high picks. Like, it's it, it's tough to to you know get make a trade like that where you're trading uh for brennan sutter and all of a sudden expect that he's going to turn into a number one center for you like that's not how how things work in the salary cap world so i think that they'd be uh they'd be served well to to take their time here and actually think about stuff because they could really set themselves back years if they keep on this path um with the with the islanders um they have one year left to basically convince john Tavares that they'll be able to surround him with enough talent to legitimately compete here during his prime years. And I think that that should ultimately be uh, the big, the, the thing that they have looming over their head and the thing that they should be catering towards. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that's obviously sort of a, a ticking bomb for the, the Islanders um, team. I, I wonder a little bit, you know, new ownership, if we're, if we're going to see a shakeup there. Um, like two years ago, the Islanders were a team that people like you and me were just raving about as, as being on the upswing as, uh, you know, potentially, well, at, at least I was, you know, mm-hmm. a, a potentially great team, all these good young players. And the rebuild has just sort of fizzled. And they, they've been better of late. Uh, they, they have, you know, pretty decent goaltending the last while from Thomas Grice. And, um, but th- this, isn't a, this isn't a good team um, by five-on-five five at puck possession. Uh, and they should be, given their age. They're getting by on, you know, sort of power play and goaltending. And they have to be more than that. Um, the Islanders, I, I don't say this very often because I, 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 this season's actually been a welcome change of pace because we haven't seen a whole bunch of coaches fired. Mm-hmm. But the Islanders are one of those teams I'd love to see with a different coaching regime. Just 
to tell if, if somebody else can get more out of this group of players because so many guys are having awful years. Has anyone kind of oscillated more between us thinking he's actually smart and done a good job and being very skeptical of his moves than, than guards to know over the past however many years? Because like for a while there, they were sort of this team that was very progressive and doing a lot of starts, smart stuff. One thing was the draft, but they were obviously, you know, they were there to sort of benefit from from the Capitals, not really having a place for Nick Letty. And they were they were making smart moves like that for a while there. But then, I mean, just the amount of money they they voted to guys like Cal Clutterbuck and 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 Casey Sizikas is is very indefensible in my mind. And I'm just like, I still don't. For a guy that's had the job as long as he has, I still don't even really know what to think about Garth Snow as as a hockey mind, which is an interesting thing to say. Well, this is the problem with judging general managers. Um, you and I talk about sample size all the time, and a, a, an NHL team is a result of. Well, I mean, like if you Garth Snow probably has a hundred different ideas, and if we knew those hundred different ideas, we'd have a really good idea of how to evaluate him. But we only see the one or two trades that he's able to pull off. Um, you know, if you were going to judge, like George McPhee, I think has been a, a pretty good GM over his whole career, but he's also the guy who traded um, Philip Forsberg for Martin Erat, right? Like, all these guys do stuff. Um, at the end of the day, it's body of work. In Garth Snow's case, there seems to be a tendency to overpay supporting players, and I don't think that's something you can get away with in a salary cap environment. Yeah, especially when you're not as, you know, if, it'd be one thing if they were this really good team that was like a few of these side pieces away from from going taking that next step but it's pretty clear that they just need more talent um so we have the, we, we had the red wings next and we're basically we have three teams left here in our in our top 20 so who do you or, or in, in this back half of the 20 um so i don't really want to spend too much time on the red wings i feel like basically you can just kind of cap you can just well, everything we just said about the canucks you could basically say for the red wings uh they you know they should take a hard long hard look in the mirror and realize that they're not where they need to be or where they think they are or where they've been in the past and they should probably do a a longer term rebuild as opposed to trying to patch it together um well, who do you have on this list after after these teams we've mentioned well there's one other team that i'd toss into that group um with with Detroit and the Islanders and all that is the Winnipeg Jets who have mm-hmm. been better of late. Um, I, I think they're down there. And after that, then we kind of get into my mushy middle. For me, the teams between eight and twenty-two are they're not interchangeable, but but that, that's where the, where the league's parity really comes through, right? Like right. there's these seven teams at the bottom, and then there's everybody else or these bottom eight teams. Yeah. Um. So so rounding out the the bottom ten, I'd uh, toss in Carolina and Ottawa. And I know those will be controversial with different people for different reasons. But in Carolina's case, they just don't have the goaltending. I don't know why they you know, went back into this year with the tandem they did. And in Ottawa's case, they're getting by on um, what to me looks like smoke and mirrors. If you're a 47.8 score-adjusted Fenwick team, you're not going to be very good long haul. Yep. Yeah, and and another thing the Senators have worked in their favor is they've won uh, a disproportionately high number of their one-goal games, and that seems like something that also probably won't continue. Um, So yeah, I had the Red Wings 24, I had Ottawa 23, I had Winnipeg 22, and I had the Calgary Flames 21. And I think that, you know... Let's talk about the Jets here for a second. I think that, you know, they're a fascinating team because 
it, I, they're endlessly frustrating to me because I look at some of their individual parts and there's just so much skill there and so much talent and they should be uh, remarkably fun to watch and much more competitive than they are. But then you look at the overall package at the end of the day and it's just underwhelming and it's not nearly as good as you think it should be. Uh, do you think it's just purely a, a goaltending thing or do you think there's some, a bigger issue there? I think it's too large particle tending thing. They've got a, a terrible five on five save percentage. They've got an awful penalty kill, and those things sort of tie back to that. Um, but they're not, you know, they're kind of a mediocre puck possession team. And I, I was hoping for a little more from them this year because you had Mark Shifley emerge last year, and, and between him and Brian Little, and I mean, there's a ton of other talent on the wings. We haven't even talked about Lene or Wheeler or any of those other guys, but you've got a one two punch at center that stacks up against most teams really well and they haven't been able to take advantage of that i do think this is a team that you know is sort of less than the sum of its parts right now yeah yeah i think i think that's a fair way to put it i had uh i had the i had the hurricanes 20 and the panthers 19 and i mostly lumped those two teams together because if you look at the shot metrics and you sort of dig into the underlying numbers it's you know they look pretty pretty favorable and they look like they should be much higher than they are but then you look at it; just they've had very bumpy seasons, and at, you know, at the risk of being a prisoner of the moment, it's it's tough to make the case that they should be much higher on this list, just because they haven't really done a lot of winning this season. And at the end of the day, like it's 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 tough to say that you know they they should be better than they are, but they haven't been. And it's tough for me to be like they're top fifteen teams because they haven't really been playing like them or winning like them. Yeah, and I mean. You and I, I know we both really value the shot metrics, but like take Florida for example, they're uh, they're they're fifty one point seven score adjusted Fenwick this year. I don't know what they are the last ten games, but it doesn't take much to make a, a one point seven percent above the the average just disappear, right? If you're if you're weak in other areas, if you have problems on special teams and, and so forth, I, I think there's a lot of potential there, but they haven't delivered on it yet. Um, I'm, I'm much more bullish on on Florida than I am on Carolina, but uh, I have them. I, I think I have Florida, yeah, I have Florida 17, and I have Carolina 22. So that that shows the gap there. But neither team would be my top 15 today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope that uh, people don't nitpick these uh, these rankings. Although it is the internet, <laughs> so I'm sure that will happen. Um, so the, the next tier. Um, I have the the Edmonton Oilers 18, and I don't know if that's going to cause a. Uh, a big stir or not, but I had someone uh, on my Twitter feed come up with a great line, and I apologize for not being able to attribute who it was. I'll, I'll try to make amends for that later, but <clears throat> he basically said something along the lines of, uh, with McDavid, the Oilers are like the 07 Red Wings, and without McDavid, they're like the 2017 Red Wings, and uh, I think that's a, it's, it's a very good point. It's amazing you know, how differently we'd be discussing the Oilers right now if it weren't for just like, even if he was... I mean, you mentioned a guy like Nathan McKinnon earlier, who I still think is a fantastic player and, and is going to have a great NHL career. But even if McDavid was, was something along the lines of Nathan McKinnon right now, I think that uh, we'd be discussing the Oilers in a much different light. Uh, this is interesting because I, as much as I, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm I'm just over familiar with the team, but I have them tenth on my list. Hmm. Um, they're they're incredible by the shot metrics right now. Uh, I think the problem with Edmonton, like Edmonton is, last I looked, I think it was something like a 49.6% Corsi or Fenwick team without McDavid on the ice, which is, you know, actually pretty good uh, for, you know, if the rest of your lineup can do almost 50%. Mm -hmm. um, 
I do think the problem with Edmonton is fragility. McDavid drives their five-on-five scoring. McDavid drives the power play. Like, the power play was miserable early in the year before, you know, McDavid sort of took over. And um, if he gets hurt, they're doomed. Uh, Jonas Gustafsson is maybe the worst backup in hockey. So if Cam Talbot gets hurt, they're doomed. Uh, So when I look at the Oilers, I see a lot of frailty. But as long as those two key pieces are healthy, I like them a lot. I... uh, they just sneak into my top 10. Hmm. That's interesting. I might have to uh, dig in a little bit deeper. Maybe you're just being an Edmonton Oilers homer. Who knows? Well, yeah, that's, that's possible. <laughs> but but I would say, you know, score-adjusted Fenwick is sort of my, my, my first first thing that I look at here. Yep. They're, they're above 52%. Um, they've got a plus-7 goal differential, which I believe also puts them inside the top 10 of the NHL. Mm-hmm. I think they're a pretty decent team. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, listen, I, I, as you mentioned earlier, I have them 18, and, and I think that if you just made a very compelling argument for why you think they should be 10, and I think that there's the, this massive tier here of teams where it's like yeah. there's basically 10, 10, 10 to 15 teams where it's like you could go either way with them, and I think that as long as you, you make a compelling argument as you did there, it's it's totally fine. Like It's tough to, to be up in arms about it, so if you want to bump up the Oilers a few spots and say that uh, our consensus here, our aggregate, is, is 14 or so, I think that I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that too. Yeah, I... Any of these teams, I think, if you if you really came at me and, and argued for for any one team to move up, even eight to ten spots, you could probably make a pretty good case because there's not a lot to choose from in this middle tier. Yeah, I have the uh, I have the Flyers seventeen, and, I, and then I have the the Stars sixteen and the Lightning fifteen, and and I thought that you know if you told me heading into the season that roughly at the forty game mark we'd be discussing the the stars and the lightning in particular in this sort of middle tier here i would have uh, told you that you know something went horribly wrong and i guess it has i mean a lot of it it has been injury based but it's it's tough to sort of reconcile just how mediocre uh, both these teams have been for for a long stretch now like i keep waiting for them to turn it on and start playing a lot better sort of like the the predators there early, early in the season and that on switch just doesn't really seem to be coming uh, yeah, Tampa Bay's had Tampa Bay's more surprising to me than Dallas. I think with Dallas, we knew that they had goaltending issues, and we also knew that um, that their defensive retooling, where they basically jettisoned all the, the veterans, was was dangerous. Um, having said that, the Stars are seven five and one since December first. Um, they've got a. Uh, plus six goal differential over that span. So I think maybe we have seen the stars turn a corner a little bit, but they were so bad early on that it hasn't really trickled through to the standings. Um, Tampa Bay, I'm, I'm much more concerned about. I know Steven Stamkos is hurt. I know they've been just racked by injury, but most of the injuries have been short term. I, I expected them to be a better club than they are. Um, I, I don't know what to say there other than there's a lot of movement in that middle tier. I expected them to be sort of in the upper tier of the league. Mm-hmm. And and maybe when they get healthy they will be, but for now they they've been a very they've been maybe the most disappointing team to me in the league this year. Yeah, I mean you know you look at how they performed the past few years and they brought back yeah. most of those same guys and they're still uh, young enough where it's not like we can, this isn't like an age related decline or anything for most of these players. It just seems like it just hasn't added up to being as good of an overall package as we thought it would. So I, I sort of have my eyebrows raised and I'm going to be following them very closely for the next couple of weeks here. Um, so we're into the we're into the top half now, and I had the I have a tier here with the the Maple Leafs, the Bruins, and the Rangers, and they're obviously very different teams. But I, I just can 
you know, once we get to this point of the, of the rankings, I just couldn't really differentiate or decide what, you know, there, there's pros and cons for all of them. So I just sort of thought that it'd be good to just have a discussion about them one by one, as opposed to making any definitive statements. Well, the, before I jump in there, I, I do need to mention one more team because you obviously um, rate them quite a bit higher than I have them. I have Anaheim at 18. Mm. I, I think that's the last team from the bottom half of my list that we haven't touched on yet so i'll just throw that out there right yeah I, I, I have anaheim 11 so it seems like we could uh we could basically just swap them and, and edmonton and we'd have a very similar ranking set there, there we go um I, I actually have the rangers a little bit higher uh, i i don't think the rangers are a particularly great five on five team i i think the shooting percentage thing um which got them off to such a great start is cool and you know isn't isn't a, isn't something you want to bank on going forward Having said that, I do think they're a solid special teams club, and I think if we just confine our, our lens to sort of five-on-five five analysis, we underrate them. Mm-hmm. I, I have the Rangers inside my top ten, actually. They just uh, just squeak into seventh place. Well, um, and, and they're interesting because I, I, I definitely don't want to be counting them out just purely because Henrik Lundqvist is amazing, yeah. and he can he can you know drag the entire performance up so much because he gives them an elevated baseline. And, and the other thing, as you mentioned, is... You know, at five on five, they've, they've struggled recently, and and the shooting percentage has come down. But I think a lot of that is probably you know they've been missing Zabinajad for a while now, and Butchnevich and and Rick Nash has been out of the lineup. And the thing that made them so special early in the year was their just relentless ability to roll four skilled lines and just play with so much speed in that in that you know counter attack style game that they've been playing for years. And, and it was just teams were having a really tough time uh, adjusting to the speed they were playing at and being able to account for all four of those. Lines. Lines. And obviously, when you start taking out some of those components and putting them on the shelf, it, it diminishes everything they're they're trying to accomplish. So I think that once they're healthy, I think they're going to get back to maybe not being as scoring five goals a game like they were in the first uh, quarter of the season. But you know, they'll be they'll resemble much more like that team than they have recently. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, Zabanjad is such a huge piece and he was playing so well for them early in the year it, it's hard to quantify his loss and uh, I, I think there is more potential there than we've seen of late um yeah i i think they're a team that's that's prime for a, a little bit of a bump but the, the standings you know they had such a such a hot run at the start of the year that uh it it's hard to make the case that they've been ill-treated I think uh, the Bruins are an interesting discussion point for us because, you know, you, if you look at the shot metrics, they are, I, I think they still might be leading the league. And, and if not, they're, they're right up there. And, you know, they compare pretty favorably well to some, some of the best teams we've seen since 07, basically. But they also also at the bottom of the league in terms of shooting percentage. And on the one hand, you look at the roster and, there are definite holes in the team in terms of talent. Like it seems like a lot of what they have going on is very Los, Los Angeles Kings ish where they're dominating possession and they're kind of grinding teams down, but we should expect them to have a low shooting percentage because uh, the guys taking the shots are clearly aren't, you know, up to snuff. But at the same time you look and guys like, like a Brad Marchand, for example, is shooting way below his career average. And you would sort of expect that we have a large enough sample of him that, you know, he should be over time shooting at a higher clip than he has so far. So on the one hand, I'm, I'm expecting that to increase a little bit, but at the same time, I do wonder if it is fair to suggest that, why they might not be the 30th ranked team in shooting percentage. They might be closer to, you know, that 25 range than we'd like to, uh, like to admit. Yeah, I, I think that's legitimate. And, and I think 
when we talk about individual player shooting percentage, we, we really need to mention the power play. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston is 29th in five-on-four goals per hour. They're in the top 10 in terms of uh, unblocked shots per hour. So they're generating a lot of shots, and they aren't scoring a lot of goals. And, and when we look at somebody like um, Brad Marchand or any of those guys who play first or second unit power play, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that's going to drive your shooting percentage down. Um, I, I think your points you've made about Boston are... are bang on i have them 15th on my list i, I place them in the same sort of thing as uh as la when i look at their roster i'm i'm a little bit skeptical about their blue line positionally i, I like their forward group for the most part uh, i i wouldn't want to face them in the first round i'll tell you that yeah no they seem, they seem like a nightmare and, and the key for them is you know it's interesting you mentioned for a team like edmonton as long as cam stout cam talbot stays healthy that it, it's going to be a big boost for them just because uh, they won't have to rely on a guy like Jonas Gustafsson. I think that no team in the league has had a bigger split between uh, their starters' production and their and their backups' production. I mean, you look at whether it's been Malcolm Subban or, or Zane McIntyre or Anton Hudobin, uh, they've been amongst the, the worst backup group in the league, and, and Tuka Rask has been amongst the best starters in the league. So I think that, you know, heading into the playoffs, you'd expect that, assuming Rask is healthy, he's going to be starting all those games, and, and that's going to be a major difference from from some of these, you know, perform- games that they've basically been been just like throwing away whenever they've had to play their backups and, and that is uh not to keep going back to edmonton but it, it is a good point because right now edmonton's basically playing sort of a playoff rotation with its goalies almost and a lot of other teams you know are going to get a boost when they go into the postseason and they can just play their starter every night the way the oilers have been for much of this year um, so some of that advantage will disappear uh Hidobin's struggles this year have been not like totally out of left field, but he's been a pretty good backup goalie for, for a number of years, a guy who even looked at points like he might be a starter. Um, so it, it was surprising to see the, the bottom fall out there, and I wonder if, if we'll see him turn it around at some point. But uh, yeah, when, once Rask gets a net, combine that with you know a team that plays a, a big possession, um, drive a lot of shots, maybe maybe don't finish a lot, but keep the puck in that end of the rink and then has Tuka Rask in net is a, is a dangerous team no matter how you slice it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, they, they are pretty top-heavy. So I think that in a playoff series, the re- another reason why you wouldn't really want to play them is because they could just sort of throw all caution to the wind and just say, listen, we're going to play... Uh, that Bergeron, Bergeron, Marchand, and maybe even Pasternak combination for nearly 25 minutes of this game, and then we're going to play the Carlo Chara pairing for for pretty much half the game, and all of a sudden, you know, we're limiting the exposure of some of these depth pieces that we've been relying on the regular season, and and it becomes a much trickier task for the opponent. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, particularly on the blue line. Um, I wanted your take on the Maple Leafs. Uh, I had them 14th, and it, it, they're an interesting team to me because, you know, they're, they're definitely trending upwards, and they have so much immense talent. And, and we're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, and they just played one of the funnest games I've seen this season against the Washington Capitals last night and showed some of that ability. But, you know, the, the big issue with them this season has been they really struggled in one-goal games, which we would expect would even out over time. And they've blown a lot of three, three, uh, three third-period leads. And I don't think that, you know, it's easy to point to their youth and their inexperience in their team and just, you know, spin that as the narrative of, the, you know, they have to go through these growing pains. But, I, you know, I'm skeptical of that sort of narrative. I think it's a bit too convenient. I think that it's just one of these things that they've been a bit misfortunate there. And if they start pulling out some more of those games the year goes along, all of a sudden they're going to become a, a legitimate playoff team. I, I like the Leafs a lot. I have them, uh, I think, 
let me just see, 11th on my list. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're a team with any particular weaknesses. Um, I, I'd point out at this, we, we had the conversation about McDavid. We should probably mention Austin Matthews. They're a, a 49% Corsi team when he's off the ice and a, uh, well, <laughs> and there it goes lagging on me, a 52% Corsi team when he's on the ice. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty big bump. And he's he's been, he's had a bigger impact than I think anybody had a right to expect this year. Uh, they're, they're, they're a good team in a lot of different areas. Like you, I kind of think the learning to win narrative is mostly garbage. I, I think that's just a function of most teams are good before they're great. And so, of course, they don't win a playoffs. You know, a Stanley Cup, their first year, they make the playoffs. Uh, th- this is an up-and-coming team. They've done the rebuild exactly right. And I, I'm not in a big rush. You know, if things don't go well this year, if they don't, because it's possible that they won't make the playoffs, right? Like at this point in the year, if, if ju- it just takes a little bit to go wrong to miss out. And um, But I, I'm not worried at all about their future. They've shown so much this season. And the one-goal games thing, when you see a team that loses a lot of one-goal games, it's only a matter of time. I, I think the Kings were the worst team in the league in 2011-12 when they just squeaked into the playoffs and ended up winning the Cup. So that'll turn around. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, uh, quickly on the Ducks, because I had them in this next spot here at 11, and, you know, it, it, it's tough because I have a tough time sort of uh, separating these two thoughts. One is with the team that they actually are using right now, and the other is the team that they could be using if Randy Carlisle wasn't their coach. And I understand that's a bit unfair because Carlisle is, you know, unless something catastrophic happens, will probably be their coach for the remainder of this season, considering that they just brought him in. And it, it's tough because, you know, I think that they could see a massive boost in performance if they just stopped playing guys like, uh, you know, they're relying on, on that pairing of Kevin Bieksa and, and Corbinian Holzer for some reason when they have guys like Shea Theodore and Brandon Montour and all these much more talented, much more appealing options in the back end, just sort of toiling away in the AHL. So I think that, you know, if, if you or I or someone more capable was running this team, I think that we could, we could, there's a, there's a way, there's a path towards inflating their performance here. But unfortunately with Randy Carlisle here, it's very suspect. And, and the, I noticed something a bit earlier and it's that Ryan Kessler's playing like 22 minutes a night this season, which is pretty insane for any forward, let alone a guy with as many miles, as many years as he has uh, on his odometer. So, you know, if he, if he breaks down just because of their relying upon him so heavily, it, it's going to be pretty pretty disastrous for them. Um, I, I haven't put a lot of... Uh... Yeah, I didn't put a whole ton of emphasis on you know what they could do versus what they are doing. I, I think they're a little top heavy up front, so I, I, I do you know I, I definitely see the dangers in playing Kessler twenty two minutes a night. Yeah. But then when I kind of look at their lineup, I go, well, if you if you don't lean on that top six, what are you doing, right? Right. Um, and, and on the blue line, Kevin Bieksa is it's a problem, but it's a third pairing problem right now for the most part. When I look at the Ducks, I, I think that they're not that far away from being a great team when mm-hmm. I look at the roster. But the performance this year, which is all that, you know, because like you said, Carlisle's going to be the guy all down the line. They're, they're one game under 500. They're two goals under break even. They're half a percentage point off by score-adjusted Fenwick. I, I have them 18th. I, they're not playing in a very good division. And when you're just a touch below mediocre in the Pacific division, 
yeah, it's, it's, you're not a very good club. Yeah, and it's frustrating because it is, it, it's mostly self-inflicted. Like, they are very top-heavy and need to rely on their top six, but it's, you know, it's because they had a dreadful summer. Like, you look at what they did, yeah. and it's like their big moves were bringing in Jared Bull and, and Mason Raymond, and it's like an Antoine Vermette who's really, really washed up at this point, and it's it's... It's it's frustrating because for a lot of these teams we mentioned, you know, we were talking about the Canucks, for example, or or, or the Red Wings or who or who have you. We we're saying, you know, they're making all these sort of complementary additions, but they're missing the core or the you know the guys that are actually going to move the needle for them to rely upon up front. And the Ducks have that, and unfortunately, they haven't been able to surround them with with guys that can actually play. And, and I think that's as a hockey fan, pretty frustrating. I think we, we had this discussion with Colorado, and I think that maybe it's maybe even more appropriate to Anaheim. This is a team that's woefully unbalanced forward to defense, right? Like, this is that rare NHL team that can look at its blue line and say, okay, we've got some good pieces here with high value, and they could probably do something about their forwards right now. Um, I know they're not going to trade Cam Fowler because he's having this phenomenal year. This, to me, is the year you trade Cam Fowler because his value is so high, and I think campus Lindholm can slide in into that first pairing role no problem at all um so they're a team i'm going to kind of watch at the deadline i think if they don't make a move to to shore up the front end right now uh, particularly with perry and getzlaff and kessler all at the ages they're at I, I think it'll be a missed opportunity yeah no this seems like a great sort of just opportunity cost thing where if they if they move cam fowler they have very adequate pieces maybe even better pieces than cam fowler is at this point to step into those minutes whereas you know the replacement level of the guys they bring in in a trade you know that they could replace some of these guys are playing up front right now would be pretty massive for them so i like where your head's at there um i had the king's 10 and i don't know how or i don't know why they're as good as they are right now. I mean, it's sort of the same tale as it's been for the past few years where they're dominating territorially and they're dominating the shot battle, but you have legitimate question marks about the actual, you know, true talent of of the shooters taking those shots. And I mean, you just look at this roster and it's like, you know, Dustin Brown's on their first first line right now. Devin Siliguchi's on their second line. You know, Kyle Clifford and Trevor Lewis are on their third line. It's and it's like Derek Forbord is on their top pairing, and Peter Budai is a net. And yet, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's you know maybe we should give a lot half of the credit to guys like Dowdy and Kopitar because they're just you know dragging everyone along for the ride. And you know maybe a lot of it is just Daryl Sutter being a mad genius who's pushing all the right buttons. But I think that the system they have in place lends itself really well and is is an interesting discussion point to you know you pay for talent and you pay for goal scoring and you pay for for those sorts of things in this league but they have this system in place where it seems like they can just interchange a lot of these guys and be competitive on a nightly basis and there's something to be said for that yeah they're well i'm daryl sutter is a superb coach um i'm I'm gonna take a quick shot at jonathan quick here because they really haven't missed a beat without him like Mm -hmm. Outside of the quick little stumble of Jeff Zatkoff when he stepped in it, they've, they've got a, a guy who is basically written off as an AHL goalie um, posting a 920 save percentage for them. And I, I wonder a little bit if we'll see the offense come a little bit more when Quick gets back just because they, they trust him more. I, I suspect there were coaching adjustments there to turn you know the league's most defensive team into a slightly more defensive team even. <laughs> um, yep. But outside of Jeff Carter, I, the offense has not been there this year. Um, I I think the thing is, though, 
I do think there's a, a difference stylistically between the way regular season games are called and the way playoff games are called. Mm-hmm. And I think the Kings are built to thrive in the postseason. Um, most of the time when you hear that, I, I kind of shrug it off. The Kings, I think, are sort of the exception to the rule. And they're, they're a team that you could easily see in the Western Conference Final once again. Yeah, no, you definitely could. I mean, we, we've seen them do it in the past. At, this, at the same time, you know, if they run into a team like the the San Jose Sharks, for example, or even the St. Louis Blues at this point, they're gonna they're gonna give them all sorts of fits with their with their speed and their ability to uh, to play a, a balanced game. So that, that's an interesting sort of stylistic matchup between those teams. Um, I have the Blackhawks number nine. And I don't know where you have them. I don't know if that's going to be a controversial opinion just based on where they are in the standings and how much winning they've done early on. But pretty much any way you slice it, they scream as, you know, there's so many red flags about just how their performance has been. They've been overperforming what they actually should be doing right now. And some of it might just be that, you know, their top players are really, really good and they're sort of inflating that. But I'm very skeptical of their ability to actually be, you know, a challenging team in the playoffs. I, I wish I had this uh, with, with empty net goals taken out, but um, their record in goals decided by more or in games decided by more than one goal is five and ten. Mm-hmm. So they're losing twice as many of those games as they're winning. They're yep. winning a ton of close games. They've got a 943 save percentage at five on five. Yeah, I, I don't think Chicago is Chicago anymore. I had them 12th on my list, and honestly, I, I really played around with the idea of bumping them lower. This is not the team that it was. I, I don't have great expectations for them, although, you know, Corey Crawford can, can take over, and, and Scott Darling has shown he can step in. They have the goaltending. They have the, the elite finishing talent. Um, but the, they've been just so devastated by the salary cap that I, I don't see them being a serious contender this season. Yeah, it seems like how high we have them on our individual rankings is just sort of a testament to, you know, paying a little bit of respect to, to their elite players because, as you mentioned, Corey Crawford can really, you know, win them a lot of games and, and they can be getting severely outplayed and then all of a sudden that combination of Panarin and Kane just scores like two goals in a matter of a couple of minutes and you're just kind of scratching your head wondering what happened and they're, they're, up, they're up on the scoreboard all of a sudden. So I think that, you know, they still have uh, the ability to win a lot of games just because of those guys, but they're clearly not the team they've been in years past and I think a lot of it is people are sort of slow to adjust to the fact that that they're not that team anymore so um yeah i I think that i have them nine you said you have them 11 i think as you mentioned or 12 and and they could be a lot lower um i have the minnesota wild eight then predators seven and the montreal Canadiens six uh what do you think about that that order uh i had minnesota six i have nashville 14 which is maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah minnesota is one of those teams that you know there are some red flags there Mm -hmm. uh, but they're pretty good special teams team um they're better than you know they're a pretty average uh shot differential team but they've had they've had goaltending this year and you know that's something that could could very well last i've got montreal inside my top five actually i have them uh fourth Mm -hmm. on my list um I, I, so I guess Nashville's the team I should be talking about. Um, maybe I'm just penalizing them too much for their their poor start early. I know they've been a lot better late. I, I don't trust their goaltending. Um, I don't trust their their special teams. I think they're a good shot differential team at 5-on-5, five five, and I, I think I may have them too low. But uh, that, that's kind of where my skepticism comes from. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have too much issue with it. Like as we mentioned, this this tier is very interchangeable, and I think that you know they've been, they've been playing better of late. Hopefully, this Subban injury isn't serious, and he can come back and and not have any um, side effects of it. And you know, I, I enjoy watching them play. They have a lot of uh, very fascinating you know skilled players and they can play with a lot of pace and 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 i think that could give teams fit fits especially in the playoffs so we'll see we'll see where they go moving forward um obviously the start wasn't what you'd like to see but it's it's nice to see they rebounded from that i think that the canadians are an interesting team i had them sixth and you know what i i put this list out before i saw um mark dumont who covers the team and does a great job and i recommend following online he 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 put out this list of sort of how their performance has been trending upwards lately and they're in the top two or three of pretty much every category you'd like to see at this point and that's a scary combination with Carey price because in, in years past it's been sort of similar to that discussion we just had about the rangers where you know they do some things well but ultimately they're relying a bit too much on their goaltending and that's always kind of a cause for concern but if they're actually able to play as a top five to even top 10 five on five team in front of him while having that type of goaltending behind them like that's a that's a pretty scary recipe in the playoffs yeah um carry price is you know he's carry price montreal's got a very good lineup top to bottom um forward and defense um i don't have any problem with them i have them four just because of the division they play in mm-hmm. um we'll get to the metropolitan in a moment when we get to all the top teams <laughs> But so, so I, I did. I gave those teams a little bit of credit for playing in a in a more difficult division. Maybe I gave them too much credit, but uh, Montreal to me is a contender. I, I, I don't know how you argue otherwise. Yeah, no, it's it's, I don't, it's pretty clear. Uh, that, yep. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just gonna say we. I think we agree on that. Yeah, no, I think that it's pretty clear that they're the cream of the crop in that Atlantic division, and and it'll be interesting to see. I mean. I, I, if they're actually able to to play this well in front of Carey Price, then uh, yeah, I, I would want to try and stay as far away from them as I could in the playoffs. Um, I have three Metro teams in my top five, which is which is pretty crazy, but I think it's 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 warranted. I mean, I, you can at least make the argument for it. Um, what 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 teams haven't we mentioned on your list, and what does your top five look like? Um, so I guess I should mention St. Louis, who I have ninth. Where did you have them? I have St. Louis fifth. Oh, okay. Uh, and, so that's why we haven't mentioned them. Yes. Yet. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, you know, they're, they're a good team, man. I, I, I'm sort of, I, I like how they've transitioned the sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say the makeup or the identity, but I guess that those are the best ways to put it. That just the way that they play, where for years they were considered this sort of slow it down, bump and grind physical team. And, all of a sudden you look and it's you know it's a team that's just filled up and down the lineup with 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 skill and with speed and you know with undersized guys i mean whether it's a Jaden schwartz or a robbie fabry or or or, or who have you i mean they're 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 a good team man i mean it was interesting it was a bit eye-opening watching that uh winter classic game against the blackhawks the other day you don't want to put too much stock into just one one showing because everyone can have a good or bad game but they were pretty clearly just the better team. I mean, they just sort of ran the, the Blackhawks off the ice. They just kept coming in waves, and for a while, the Blackhawks were able to hang on, and I think they were even up one nothing at one point early on. But the Blues are just just a superior team in pretty much every way, and I think that I'm not sure that that's, uh, you know, that's a popular opinion around the hockey community, even though the Blues did beat them in the playoffs last year. Um, if you are running St. Louis, do you trade for a goalie at the deadline? 
I, I, I would look at who's available, but I'd be, you know, I'd be wary of giving up anything of consequence for one. I mean, they, they, they tried that a couple of years ago with Ryan Miller and then just didn't, didn't really, you know, change the ceiling for them. I think that Jake Allen's fine. I think he's been a bit shaky early on this season, but we've seen that he's a pretty capable goalie. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess it depends on who's available and what the price is. I think every player is in play for in play for the right price, but ultimately, I'd be I'd be I'd be comfortable just standing pat if I were them. Because that's kind of my thing with St. Louis is I don't trust Carter Hutton at all. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd like another guy besides Jake Allen to to push him down the stretch and and then make a decision on your playoff starter. And I think like last year, James Reimer really wasn't very pricey. Generally, you can get a, a decent guy for a second or third round pick, and and that's kind of my my issue with St. Louis. I think they're a good team, but they need goaltending. Well, they're and they're in a, a tr- little bit of a tricky spot because we went through this last year with them, and you know they stood pat um, with a guy like David Backus, for example, because we discussed whether you know as an impending UFA whether they would consider ever trading him. But it's tough when you're one of the best five to ten teams in the league and you actually have a legitimate shot come playoff time to give away a guy like that for future assets. So I understand why. They just sort of st- sat pat with the team they had. You know, they made it pretty far in the playoffs, and they wound up losing them for nothing. But it's going to be tough if they lose Kevin Shattenkirk this summer, which it seems like it's heading that way. I mean, I, I would personally pay Kevin Shattenkirk if I were them and then try to figure out and move other pieces. But it's going to be tough to fit him in with, with the amount of salary they're giving to other guys on that blue line. And, you know, if he walks for nothing, like, that's 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 going to be a pretty big blow to that team. Yeah, I think they have to hold on to him for now because, you know, asset management is all well and good. But when you have a window where you could win a cup mm-hmm. and, and they could win this year. Yep. Um, I, I, yeah, but I, I do think they're they're better positioned than most teams to replace him with Petrangelo and uh, Pareko. Mm-hmm. I, I'd personally trade Petrangelo and keep Shattenkirk Pareko on my blue line. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think they're not in a bad spot and they don't really have a choice but to keep him. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um I like I love Shannon Kirk as a player. Um, so where do you have the Blue Jackets on your list? I have them number one. <laughs> Jonathan, you hot takeist, you. Oh yeah, my I, god! I have um, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Washington, one, two, three, and I'm probably I'll, I'll freely admit I, I'm I'm probably a little too uh, too much on the Blue Jackets right now. I, I, I just watched them play Edmonton last night, and yeah, they smoked them. Yeah. It was incredible. That's an incredible team right now. Uh, they're just winning. <laughs> and I figured with the power rankings thing, I, I could I could um, put a little bit too much weight on their recent win streak. But they're, they're a legitimately good team. Um, I, I think the power play is probably not, you know, 10 goals an hour good, but it is better than their shot rates, and their shot rates are pretty good. Um, they've got a decent penalty kill. Sergei Bobrovsky's excellent. They're a very good five-on-five shot differential team. They, they're they're deep up front. They're deep on the back end. John Tortorella seems to be coaching his uh, safe as death Tampa Bay. Like I was having flashbacks to the, to the 2004 playoffs watching Columbus last night. I, they're they're a good team. Uh, maybe maybe not number one, but they're a good team. I mean, I think if uh, if they never lose again, you'll definitely be justified in this number one, in this number one ranking, and they're uh, they're on pace to win the the rest of the games that they play for the till the end of time. But no, I mean, it, listen, as you laid it out, they don't really have many weaknesses right now. I mean, even if the power play regresses a little bit, it's still going to be one of the best ones in the league. Uh, as long as Bobrovsky's healthy and playing this way, we can expect their goaltending to be to give them a chance every night and. There aren't too many weaknesses in the lineup. I mean, you got to give them credit for 
listen, like Scott Hartnell and Sam Gagne are in their fourth line, and that's probably one of the best combinations of any fourth line out there. Like they, they're just they're not wasting any lineup spots right now. They're playing aggressively. They're playing fast, and and there's a lot to like. And I, I understand why people are a bit slow to adjust because generally we see one of these teams kind of come out of nowhere every year and, and be a little bit uh, inflated by their percentages. And, and there's no doubt that the Blue Jackets are overperforming right now. I mean, no team, yeah. no team's going to, going to win this many games in a row generally. Like it, it, that, that, it sort of goes hand in hand with a winning streak like this, but at the same time, like they could come back down to earth a little bit and still wind up being a very, very good hockey team. So, I mean, I, I have them, I'm four on my list and, I, I think that, you know, you can make the argument as you just did for number one. I still think that I have the Penguins number one on my list and I haven't really seen anything this season that would make me feel comfortable unseating them from that spot. But I, I, I get where your head's at. Well, I've got Pittsburgh two and Washington three. Mm-hmm. And um, any if, if you told me that I'm, I'm way out to lunch and Pittsburgh or Washington goes in the number one slot, I, I won't argue with you. They're both just phenomenal teams. We've talked about them a lot in the past. They're very balanced forward uh, attack, um, good across the board, good in all situations. Uh, the Metropolitan Division is just stacked this year. Yeah, it's absolutely loaded. Uh, one team you didn't mention that I have I have second, I have in between uh, Washington and Pittsburgh is the San Jose Sharks. Where'd you have them? I have them number five. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pen- maybe I'm penalizing them too much for playing in the Pacific. But you play in the weakest division in hockey, and uh, to me, you've got to be, you know, clearly head and shoulders above the group. I, I, I think those top five teams are separate from the rest of the league, mm-hmm. in my view, and uh, they're they're a very good team. But I'm I'm curious to see what happens when when they get into these matchups against. Uh, teams from other divisions yeah that, that's fair i mean the thing with the, the sharks that i look at is like i don't really know what their weakness is i mean assuming martin jones holds up a net um you know like last year was pretty clear that every time they played roman polak uh, who was dragging down brendan dillon with him that was um their big weakness and and the penguins really exploited that with their speed but you know you replace polak with a guy like schlemko and all of a sudden I, I'm I'm pretty com- I'm pretty comfortable, and especially assuming that they take Michael Haley out of their lineup in the playoffs and start playing that fourth line of of Melker Carlson, Tommy Wingles, and Matt Nieto. Like, if you're playing that lineup, I just don't really see what that weakness is, and I'm pretty com- I'm pretty comfortable in them at least you know keeping their head above water, if not actually dominating the play with pretty much any single combination of players they have out there. Which there's very few teams you can say that about. Yeah, they're they're a very good team. They were the Stanley Cup finalist last year for a reason. They haven't really um, stepped back from there. Uh, their power play has underperformed a little bit. They're generating a lot of shots, but they're not scoring a lot of goals. So there's maybe some potential for uh, for an, for an even better performance the rest of the way. Um, I, I like them. I, I just don't quite like them as much as the the other teams we've discussed. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Jonathan, man, where can uh, where can people find you online and, and check out your work? Uh, the best place is on Twitter at Jonathan Willis. Uh, pretty much all my stuff gets posted there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend people follow you and check out all the great work you do. And uh, thanks again for taking the time, man. That was uh, it was a fun power ranking. Hopefully, we didn't uh, ruffle too many feathers. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think we should, you know, it'll be a fun exercise if we revisit this maybe in a, in a month or so, or maybe sometime around the trade deadline to see how much things have changed between now and then. Yeah, I uh, I look forward to getting pilloried for my my <laughs> mad love of the Columbus Blue Jackets and uh, for for Chicago fans to come at me with shivs, but uh, it, it's always always a pleasure to come on the show and uh, it's a fun exercise. All right, man, talk soon. Take care. 
the Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash